Okay, so hello everyone. Welcome to Coaches on the Couch. I'm Rachel. And I'm Louise. And today we're welcoming Annalie Riches, who established the multi-award-winning architectural practice Mikhail Riches with David Mikhail in 2014. Hi Annalie, how are you? Hi, good. Um, and before we get into anything else, we obviously need to chat to couches. So please tell us something brief and interesting about your couch. Well, I've chosen a couch I've not really sat on much, but I've just got my first ever outdoor couch, but I got it just before winter and I live in Whitstable and we've just built a deck so I, I'll be able to sit on it. That's amazing. With a sea view. With a sea, couch with a sea view, yeah. Wonderful. So as Rachel said, Mikhail Riches is a multi-award winning practice, counting the Sterling Prize among its plaudits, which it won in 2019 for a housing project in Goldsmith Street, Norris City Centre. So housing is in the practice's DNA and central to Annalee and David's intent from the beginning was to improve the quality of housing and neighbourhoods in the UK. And after winning the Sterling Prize, Annalie, you made the brave declaration that as a practice, you didn't want to do anything that wasn't aiming for zero carbon. Uh, you've been championing a greater awareness of the impact of housing on the environment and on the climate for many years. And sustainability credentials are a red thread running through most of your work. So we wanted to talk to you today about that sort of strong sense of purpose that um, is behind Mikel Riches and the values that drive it. Yes, I mean, sustainability has, has been, you know, quite important for us since really the first book project we did, which was when we were a practical Riches Hawley Mikel and we built Clayfields in Suffolk, which was RIBA competition, which had a really deep green brief. So it was low carbon in use and construction. And it was, you know, early, early days, I suppose, for those kind of ideas. It was, yeah, it was about what, 15 years, finished about 15 years ago. So we teamed up with Bureau Happold and they kind of taught, you know, said, what should we do here? And they they persuaded us to look at passive solar schemes. So a scheme that's designed so that you try and benefit from winter sun to help heat the houses and because it, it was social housing it was all social rent that you know fuel poverty was obviously a big issue and and will be going to be an increasing issue and it, it was interesting to try and make houses that were through their design and their layout fundamentally saved conserved energy and what was quite interesting about that project is it was we were very lucky to have a very kind of rigorous post-occupancy analysis done by Bureau Happold on how it worked and what we found out. We found out lots of really interesting stuff from it um, about human behavior. But I think one of the big picture takeaways was, was that the houses work better than predicted in terms of their energy use, particularly heating, which almost never happens. Something outperforms the, the model. And so I think just, you know, thinking about how you kind of lay stuff out and using the assets of the environment to try and help people heat their homes was just felt like a no-brainer it's free <laughs> um so those i that that was the beginning of the kind of interest and obviously now it's got more complex with kind of passive house zero carbon the tools we have are much better at analyzing you know how things perform but still i think there's a lot to be learned from just building for the environment you're in so, so did it sort of land like a, you know, it was obviously a formative experience. Did it land like a sort of thump? This is what we're meant to be doing. Or was it a kind of thump? This is our niche. We could 
we could do a lot of work in the sector and nobody else is really in the sector and it's a business opportunity. Just quite interested in that interplay between the, those two things. I don't think we're very good at spotting business opportunities, <laughs> but I think we were we were so kind of convinced by the data we were getting. Um, and it's really unusual to be able to kind of pin something on real data that we we felt that, you know, we should be building in this kind of way. Um, and why wouldn't you? I think with Goldsmith Street, that was the next project really that we won. And, and we were like, well, let, we could do this at an urban scale. You know, we could do it bigger scale, more denser. And then the client chose to go the passive house route. We, we were just proposing a passive solar scheme, but it certainly helped. And, and you know, I think what we've, we've learned a lot from that process, and we've also paid for research, doing analysis of it to see whether we made the right decisions in terms of orientation. Oh, that's interesting. And that's been really interesting too. I mean, I could give a whole lecture on this. Yeah. I've got lots of graphs. <laughs> but you know, I, I do think what 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 we so we made that declaration. I think what we acknowledge is e- I don't believe that if a client isn't interested in aiming for zero carbon that you can actually get them to do it. I mean, that, that ambition has to be there at the beginning. Yeah. What happens down, down the road is kind of subject to all sorts of different processes and a lot of it outside our control. But what we're trying to do is the research as to how, how we can do it affordably, because when if things come in over budget, it's a really easy thing to cut. You know, it's, So if we can kind of build it into the architecture and make it as affordable as possible through the design, then it would more chance of kind of holding on to that ambition further down the line. What implications has that declaration had for conversations that you've had with clients? Well, we have turned down work, which isn't which isn't the easy thing to do, especially when, um, you know, there's quiet period. It's pretty fundamental to how we view a scheme, but obviously it's not, it's not, it, you know, it's not a perfect thing in itself. There's no kind of, you know, there's different ways to achieve it and it's evolving all the time. And I think so, but it does drive our decisions on whether to take projects on or kind of go for bids. And does it drive people to find you as well? Not just clients, but newly qualified architects still learning their craft. Do they, do you ever have to advertise or do people come to you because they understand and empathize and associate with your purpose I mean I think people do I mean thinking about it since we said that we've been through some really weird times haven't we we've been <laughs> just because <laughs> that was just after the selling price and then we've had lockdowns and you know haven't really been in a position to take people on so I yeah I don't I don't know I don't know and I don't know how many people I mean you obviously picked up on it but I don't know how many people have and we should probably be a bit more explicit about it, maybe. Mm. I remember it. It's, I mean, it was a really bold mm. statement. I remember it too. I had to run it past people first. <laughs> but, but you know, I think we're in a position now where, uh, you know, I don't understand why everyone's not saying that. We, mm. Someone's going to make a stand and I, I'm, I, I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. And mm. I, I couldn't really stomach doing anything that I didn't think was going to, improve you know make a difference yeah it needs that tipping point doesn't it it needs enough people who make similarly bold i know architects declares sort of starts to move in that direction but it needs enough people refusing to do the yeah. bad 
we've lost you know we we've lost work because of it you know we haven't taken on projects because yeah, of it. I'm sure and um, that's the risk you take yeah, I'm interested in the word purpose. Louise and I ran a workshop this morning with a group of people and we had a long conversation which sort of unpacked the term purpose, which was cropping up with a lot of young people within that organisation. And we were arguing the case for actually everybody requiring purpose. I just wonder if that's a word that, does that resonate with you at all? Do you consider yourselves a, a practice with a very clear purpose? Well, that kind of implies a mission, doesn't it? Whereas I think... Um, you know, we're, we're much more, I always feel as architects, we're, we're very reactive rather than proactive because we're kind of fighting over jobs and waiting for things to come along. It would be nice to have a purpose and feel that there was a way of, but I, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably it's more a set of values until we're more in a driving seat because we are at the end of the long chain of events that where a project gets popped out at the end but it's been through all sorts of processes that we have no we have no impact on so we thought it was probably worth just stepping out of the conversation there with Annalie and just unpicking the term purpose a little bit you know it's something that it's become a bit hackneyed it's a bit of a cliche but it's still crucial to leaders to understand what meaning and purpose means for their business um, and its role in their team's intrinsic motivation. Yeah, it's something we talk about quite frequently in workshops. And normally that's what we talk about. We talk about how important it is for individuals to have that kind of inner switch of intrinsic motivations turned on. And quite often uh, we find that that's through having a clearer sense of, of what the purpose is of the business, uh, of their role within that and of their team. Uh, and we've come up with uh, three ideas to help connect your team members to purpose. I think the first one is if we maybe take that top level, so the business level, people generally and increasingly so want their business to be contributing to the big societal issues so things or at least not detracting from them so things like climate change climate emergency sometimes values are just values and purpose uh, words which are stuck onto the wall or written in up in some kind of way and I think it's important that they're really lived yeah and that that idea I think it's it's uh it's also interesting to think of the difference if indeed there is one and I think there is between values and purpose because organizations and businesses have been talking about values for as long as I've been working within them and that's quite a long time purpose is a more contemporary um, version of that and I, I think that maybe the difference is that values is something that a business says it has and purpose is something that people have to feel yeah they have or the business has I think purpose is the more intrinsic of the two yeah I think that's that's quite a nice way of, of thinking about it I think also if we come down to that top level was business and then the next level you know people need to understand I guess how what they're doing fits into the bigger picture and how it's going to impact the wider team and those outside the business so even if they're doing something really simple and mundane particularly important for very junior team members I guess to understand how that task fits into 
the much bigger picture and how it contributes. Yeah, and we had a really lovely example the other week, didn't we, of a, of a business we're working with at the moment where a lot of the work that they, the junior people do within that business is doing data spreadsheets, um, but actually taking them to a project and sharing them, this was a built environment project, and sharing them a kind of uh, a tangible demonstration of where their work is contributing to that whole they said it had a huge impact on, I think it was a graduate, and it had a huge impact on that graduate. So we've got like business purpose, and then we've got understanding how what they're doing is contributing to that. And then finally, I think, is that um, is career progression purpose. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think people's interest in how is what I'm doing right now contributing to where I'm going next, I think is really important for people. And there's a lot of businesses who invest in much more structured way at the moment around career pathways and I think that's becoming a a bigger issue for people and I think that's probably enough on purpose so we'll step back into the conversation with Annalie. I get the sense Annalie that you don't really see yourself as a pioneer. Um, No I don't really. I do think that having made this decision which has affected all of our work and how we how we approach projects and you know, we, we should probably make more of it and maybe there'd be more people out there who would resonate with that purpose, maybe it could be purpose. It seems to me as well that it comes down to that sort of another sort of uh, ephemeral quality of integrity. That, that it seems to me that you're the sort of person that wants to look in the mirror and know that the person that's looking back mostly behaves with professional integrity. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if that applied to <laughs> Well, if it applied to everybody, imagine what a better world it would be. (laughs) I think we're living in strange times at the moment where it'd be nice if that applied. But I mean, why why do we do these things? I can't imagine not feeling like that, I suppose, not Mm. wanting everything to be a good Mm -hmm. solution. Can you remember when you first started to think like that? I suppose I've, I've always been on my own little missions, you know, about giving up meat and only shopping locally I, I I haven't really shopped in a supermarket apart from very occasionally for about 20 years I've always so I I, I do these things on my own but I, I I don't expect other people to do them. Tell us about leadership Adelie what what does leadership look like at Mikhail Riches? I think leadership is something I you know I I set up a practice because I couldn't get a job so it's not something that I I feel that I was born to do or wanted to do particularly I think we probably the the kind of direction of the practice and what we're interested in and care about probably kind of drives the direction of it I think you know I want a practice that's fair that's diverse um where people feel that they have a voice so hopefully that's what we've got yeah I was looking at something earlier because we coaches talk quite a lot about psychological safety and we talk about it. And I was thinking, we talk about it to clients as well. I wonder how often we break down what that looks like. You know, what is, how do we create what is psychological safety? And um, I was thinking that it's, it's, it's basically where people feel that they aren't afraid to speak up, ask questions, admit their mistakes and seek help if they're struggling Mm. guessing that those things are all things that you would strongly go along with and, and practice yeah yeah definitely but again we've been through, I mean I think about the 
the working the methods we've had to develop recently and I do wonder whether we've slightly lost touch with people because we've been distanced from them that's you know we've just opened a new office in in central London where we know everyone can get there quite easily and it'd be great to get that up and running also we've done a survey of everyone you know trying to find out whether or not they like working from home and they want to continue or if they want to come back so we've kind of sized the office according Mm. to that what was the outcome of those questions on on average if you two and a half days a week um Mm. no one wanted to come back full-time and no one wanted to be at home full-time so that's quite interesting I think quite a lot of young people I I thought people would want to come in more so yeah we're we're just experimenting going to start experimenting with how that works do you have thoughts on how you'll use that studio space well we've we've done it so there's a mix of different I mean it's not a big space but we've got a big meeting table where everyone can get around Mm -hmm. and then six workplaces and a little two zoom zoom I mean uh, we're not going to move away from zoom meetings I don't think and they're the most annoying thing to be next to so we'll we'll just see we'll just see how it works I mean it's very difficult to predict I think we're certainly not going to enforce people coming in if they don't want to but the kind of big design it's the design process which I think is is missing I mean we've found ways to do it online but you know having lots of bits of tracing paper getting around pinning it on the wall is 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 missed I think Mm. I just wonder if you have to be quite deliberate about how you coordinate you know because if you want to get that collaboration going and you want people big design reviews or whatever going on you actually need all the people in at the same time don't you so is there an element of having to prescribe when people are in or will that happen naturally? I, I think we're going to have to to some respects. I mean, I think we'll just set up design workshops for different projects right. and see how it goes. <laughs> I've no idea how it's going to go, to be honest. And if we've got the right size space, but yeah, we'll see. So just to go back to that purpose and the values around them, um, when you made your, your net zero pledge, that must have there must have been people who thought you were nuts. How did you develop the resilience to cope with those people, the naysayers, as we might call them, people who said, why are you doing that? You're going to limit your growth. There's going to be a limit to what projects you can work on and so on. Oh, I think you should always ignore naysayers. There's no point, absolutely no point engaging with them. <laughs> it's funny, I, I went on this, um, when, we, when we realised we were going to have to do lots of presentations, we went on a presentation course and that was one of the things that we were taught. There's always going to be naysayers in any kind of any interview and you just don't look at them there's no point engaging with them and I do think a lot of people will try and pick holes in your in in why you're doing something and try and kind of call you out for hypocrisy so you know nothing we do is going to be perfect I'm well aware we'll be hypocritical on some level but unless you try this imperfect thing you know you're not going to make any kind of changes I think people are really afraid of being seen to be hypocrisy is 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 what's always banded at you you just got to accept that you can't be perfect do you have a leadership role model I think when I was starting out as a young female architect in practices I you know was often in the position where I'd find out that my male counterparts were paid more and promoted more than I was and and that's not you know, the leadership I'm aiming for, but I think that's had a definite impact on how I want our practice to be. 
So I'm very proud we're always zero gender pay gap. And that's without trying, you know, we, I don't try and we've, we're almost 50-50 men and women. And that's without having to try, I guess, maybe more women apply to us because we've got a female, female director. Um, so yeah, that has definitely had an impact on how I want our practice to be. That makes perfect sense to me. And that concept of fairness, which, you know, I'm guessing... Um, you know, at the root of your business is a more equitable form of housing, <laughs> a more democratic and equitable form of housing. So that theme of things being fair, who cares where it came from? If it came from there, fantastic. But yeah. it's, good. it's not a bad thing. I mean, we need more women designing housing. We need more female architects and higher levels. It's it's just needs different experiences, not just not just male, female diversity, all sorts of diversity. But, you know, I think... We're at the beginning of it, really. It's still incredibly male-dominated profession. It's a fact. And although it might not sound like a very uplifting thing to think about, here we are with a, you know, a strong female lead of an architectural practice well, that's that set really out nice. with, uh, yeah. with um, you know, with a strong sense of purpose and, and all power to your elbow. Let's see more of it. Thanks so much. <laughs>